Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold. The very graphic word, chazak, to take hold, to seize, to be strong, to conquer. There is none that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us and consumed us because of our iniquities. Here's a problem. We are all as an unclean thing. That's a problem. When it says we are all, that means that that means we are all. That means there's not one person who's not dirty and defiled inside. That's a real problem. And what should be done there is the description of verse 18, not be at rest today to settle that score. And the second problem is, All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. When it says all our righteousnesses as filthy rags, that means that there's nothing that you can do, nothing that I can do, nothing we can do to clean ourselves up. When we try to do good works, we only make it worse. And and the problem is our uncleanness gets worse. We just make it worse when we consider that our good works and our righteousnesses can overcome the filth within because they're dirty rags as well. We can't do anything to fix ourselves. The problem of our cleanness, as it says in Jeremiah 2.22, Jeremiah 2.22, for though thou wash thee with nitre, strong soap, and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord God. And the third problem is, the third problem is, from Isaiah 64, we all do fade as a leaf in our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. That means that our sins are the cause of being blown away, blown away from God into hell, into judgment, as it says in the very first Psalm, Psalm 1-4, Psalm 1-4, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So these are real problems for man, that he has sinned, that he has become unclean inside, that he cannot do anything, any, cannot do any good works or of own righteousness to fix the uncleanness and that a judgment is going to fall. Now, that's a good thing to be anxious over. That's a good thing to be restless over. That be, because whereas to do nothing about that is the ultimate problem and dr- God describes that problem of being passive and doing nothing as in verse 7 of Isaiah 64, 7, Isaiah 64, 7, there is none 
that calleth upon me, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. That's an anxiety. That's an anxiety of being the man described in verse 18, of just being at rest that he's supposed to drive him, drive every one of us to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be saved, and to rely on this promise, to grab a hold of this promise in Romans 10, 13, Romans 10, 13. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, those fears should drive a person to call out, Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. And then God says that a person should be so anxious about his doomed condition that he should stir himself up and take hold, seize, take hold of of God. He should be the man in verse 18. And when it says, take hold, and again, that's that word, chazak, that means to seize or be strong and conquer. It's a word that's used for warfare that God uses for a person to be saved. You got to fight your way in. And God has some very specific instructions for a person who does not feel at peace with God. And God says in um, Isaiah 27, 5, Isaiah 27, 5, let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. So God says that a person who's not at peace with God and knows they're not at peace with God needs to take hold of the strength of God, that word chazak again, he's gonna fight his way, take hold of God and said, I'm gonna make peace with God if it kills me. So anxiety over not being saved, that's a good anxiety, and it should drive to this ultimate response, like when Boaz says he's going to finish it this day, of 2 Corinthians 6 2, 2 Corinthians 6 2, 6 2, for he saith, I've heard thee in a time accepted, in the day of salvation have I succored thee, behold, now is the accepted time, behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're not saved today, if you're, in this, if you're in this building right now and you're not saved today, God says, today's the day you need to be saved. Now, not later, that's passive. But grab a hold, fight, take hold, be saved. So it says twice in that verse in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, 2 Corinthians 6, 2. It says twice, now. That means now is the time to take action. Call on the name of the Lord to be saved. That's a good anxiety of being like it says in verse 18, not at rest. When a, when a person is anxious, when a person is anxious, there are many chemicals which are produced in the brain. And there are, these are called neurotransmitters. And two in particular, dopamine and serotonin. Dopamine and serotonin are two neurotransmitters which come about during anxiety. There's an epidemic of anxiety in our country. That's good. But what's not good is that medical science or doctors have stepped in and have put one in six people in our country on antipsychotic drugs. You know, these are like chemical straitjackets. They're drugs like Prozac, Seroquel, Zypress, Ablify, Risperidone, or Respiradol, which Respiradone, Johnson & Johnson, $4 billion market in sales per year. Think of how many people there are taking that. Many of these drugs, what they do, they block the actions of dopamine and serotonin, and they block the receptors for them. So they induce a chemical passivity. One in six people, one in six people in the U.S. are taking these antipsychotic drugs for all their lives. It's not just like temporarily. It's like, no, this is going to be a lifetime for you. And these are typically blocking these receptors in the brains that cause anxiety. To block anxiety, these drugs induce a chemical passivity. 
And some anxieties are good for the soul. For example, feeling anxious over the need to be saved, that's a good anxiety and not something to be put into a passive state over. And when a person feels anxious over being separated from God, he'll fight to find God. He'll fight to search for God. That's a good anxiety to feel anxious over being separated from God. Like he said in Isaiah 59.2, Isaiah 59.2, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid your face, and he will not hear. It's a good anxiety to feel that God has abandoned a person, as it says in Hosea 5.15, Hosea 5.15. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they'll seek me early. Till they acknowledge their offense, that would be confessing sins. And seek my face, that would be calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. Till they bakash, till they, till they fight, till they search for God's fa- face, till they fight to find God's face. So anxiety is good when it drives a person to fight to search for God, to fight to find God. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know, God speaking, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me, Bakash, you'll fight to search, you'll fight to find God, and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. All right, so that's the first anxiety, which is good. Anxiety about feeling like I'm separated from God, I'm lost, I'm not safe from my sins, I'm going to be judged for my sins, I'm going to be going to hell. That's a good anxiety. There's another anxiety. There's another anxiety that's good, and it's designed by God to put us into action, and that can be seen in Ezekiel 22.30. Ezekiel 22.30, where God said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Tragedy. Isaiah 59, 16. Isaiah 59, 16 says, and he saw that there was no man, God said, God said, it says, God saw there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him. God is very concerned over the sinful state of our world and over the fact that sinners are going to the destruction of hell. He's very concerned about that. And he wants us to take action. He wants us to stop sinners from being destroyed in hell. And we can. And it hasn't all been predetermined, foreordained in a fatalistic manner. No, he's calling to us to become a hedge, to stand in the gap between an angry God and a sinful man. That's the work of intercession. That's the work of intercession. And God is looking for people who will take him seriously in this matter of intercession. What does it mean to be an intercessor? What is that? What does that mean? When it says to stand in the gap, it means to stand in between. It means to stand in between God and a particular sinner to plead for that sinner. It means for us to really get involved to the point of confessing the sins of that sinner to God and to say that, If it was not for the grace of God, I'd be in the same boat as that sinner. Confessing the sin of others is what Daniel did. We see Daniel doing this. Daniel did this a lot. I mean, what would it be like? 
I mean, I want you to really think about this. What would it be like if you and I were to sort of like put a wing around, so to speak, a, a friend of ours who's a lost sinner, and as an intercessor, we were to confess the sins. And we were to confess, we have sinned. And let me tell you what an intercessor does not do. An intercession does not say, I thank thee, O God, that I am not like him. He's really made a mess of his life. Not me. Not me. See, the opposite is the one of the intercessor from Luke 18, 11, Luke 18, 11. The Pharisee, this is the Pharisee. I was talking about the Pharisee. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, O God, I thank thee that I'm not as that other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. See, I am not, he had no compassion on him. This publican, he distanced himself from him. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, he left him hurt. This publican, he didn't bring him into his heart. With him, he prayed with himself. He didn't take care of him. He was self-centered. The heart of a true intercessor, the heart of a true intercessor, it's seen in that parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, 33, Luke 10, 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. See, he had compassion on him. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. He sought his healing. He set him on his own beast. He identified with him in his sin. He brought him to an inn. He took him to someone who could take care of him. Now, we can take care of people same way by intercession and by witnessing. That's taken care of. An intercessor, first of all, the intercessor sees in his own heart the kernel of every sin that he sees in other sinners, homosexuality and all. The Bible says about each one of us, Psalm 14, 3, they are all gone aside, they are all together become filthy, there is not one that doeth good, no, not one. That describes you, that describes me. Families need to unite in a goal to seek the spiritual healing of a lost person. That heals a family. That heals the division of the family. I think I've told you the story before. But one time there was a freight ship, a freighter, you know, a merchant marine, in the sailing there. And the captain looked on the deck in front of him, and two sailors were duking it out. They were fist fighting each other on the deck of the boat. They were fighting. And then all of a sudden, another sailor fell overboard, and the captain yelled out, Man overboard! And those two sailors who were fighting, they dove into the water and they worked together to rescue this man. You see the symbolism there? So when a family unites themselves, unite themselves to say, you know what? We're going to focus on this sinner. We're going to focus on this sinner as a family. All of a sudden, there's unity. They have a goal that they're working together in. So it's a good anxiety for an intercessor who is like the description here in verse 18 of Boaz, who will not rest. And we can see this good, restless anxiety of the intercessor in Paul, in Romans 9.1. Romans 9.1, Paul, he's anxious, he's restless when he says words like, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish myself were accursed 
from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You know, a person says something like that. When a person says they have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, that's a description of a deep, restless anxiety. And that's a good anxiety for the intercessor. When a person says, I could wish myself had gone to hell from Christ, or they're cursed from Christ for my brethren. If I could trade positions with them, I'll do it. That's a description of a deep anxiety, a restlessness. That's the anxiety of an intercessor. That's a good anxiety because it drives the intercessor to do what the next chapter says in Romans 10.1, Romans 10.1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That restless anxiety drives a person to prayer. And when you think that a person is coming to God for the Jewish people, and that person is described as one who has great heaviness, continual sorrow in his heart, to the point where he could wish himself a curse from Christ for his brethren, the Jewish people, you think he would passively pray a prayer like, now, Lord, please bless the Jewish people. No, it's not going to be that way. He's got a deep heaviness. He's got a continual sorrow in his heart. And there will be a deep, continual passion in his prayers. Some might even call him emotional. Oh, wow. Think of that. Emotional. That's terrible. But that's a Holy Spirit-driven, deep and continual, restless passion that's described by Romans 9, 1 and 2 there. He said, I have a deep, great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. So what he was saying was that the Holy Ghost was driving that restless, great heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart. You know, we are not living in a world of intercession. We're not living in a world of intercession that's being driven from a great, restless, great heaviness and continual sorrow in the heart. We're living in a world of chemically induced passivity. We're living in a world of chemically induced, great and continual passivity. And God is looking for intercessors who will groan from deep heaviness and continual sorrow in the heart. You want to sign up for being an intercessor? God says, sign up right here. I'm looking for groaners and people who sigh. And that was God's calling to Ezekiel. God says, Ezekiel, I want you to groan. I want you to sigh. He told Ezekiel, that's your job. In Ezekiel 21.6, Ezekiel 21.6, sigh therefore, thou son of man, with the breaking of thy loins and with the bitterness sigh before their eyes. God told Ezekiel, go find others who will groan and sigh who will sigh and cry. In Ezekiel 9.4, Ezekiel 9.4, the Lord said unto him, go through the midst of thy city, through the midst of Jerusalem, set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. See, this groaning, this sighing, this crying is what we see in the Lord Jesus, as we see in him. In John 11.33, John 11.33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And a couple of verses down, John eleven thirty eight, John eleven thirty eight, Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, coming to the grave. It was a cave, cave, stone was on it. A true intercessor feels for the lost their deep need for God. The world needs God. And a true intercessor feels how the world needs God. And this world is hostile toward God. This world is hostile toward Christmas. This world is hostile toward nativity scenes. I remember, Gene, you must remember too, going down to Balboa Park at the Oregon Pavilion this time of the year. 
And there were set up stalls that demonstrated the whole Christmas account. And the last stall was the nativity scene. How many remember those? Good. Okay. But you know what happened? They're not there anymore. You know why? Because it was banned by our city. Our city banned Christmas displays. They banned nativity scenes on public property. Can you believe that? Our city said no to Christmas and nativity scenes on city property. A true intercessor groans and sighs and has a deep heaviness and a continual sorrow for the city of San Diego that bans the account of God's gift to the world. You know, it's so common in churches, you know, to have these classes on evangelism and how to witness, you know, and, uh, but God's order doesn't start there. God's order does not start with how to witness. God's order does not start with how to be a good witness. To be a good witness, a person must be an intercessor. To be a good witness, a person must first be a good groaner, a good sire, a good crier, and have a deep heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart. Then he's going to be a good witness. A good witness is a person who speaks because his heart is arrested, because it's pressed, because there's a, this Greek word, suneko. Suneko means arrested. You know, it's used in, in Luke twenty two sixty three. Luke twenty two sixty three, where it says about the Lord's trial. The men held suneko. They arrested Jesus, mocked him and smote him. And then uh, another one talks about that same use of that word, another use of the word, Luke 4.38, Luke 4.38. He arose out of the synagogue, entered into Simon's house, and Simon's wife's mother was taken, suneco, with a great fever, and they besought her. Anyone here had the flu recently? <laughs> okay. That's called suneco. That's to be held, arrested. You know, and you, you want to get out of the flu, and you can't. And you take all these drugs and do everything else, and it's just, it, the flu has you in its grip. It has you in its grip. As a matter of fact, in French, that's the word for flu, la grippe. And it means the grip. You know? <laughs> and in Spanish, it's la grippe. Right, Sam? Yeah, okay, Betsy says yes. All right, so it's the flu. It's got you held in the flu. Okay, That's like being arrested and not being able to get out. Whether you're arrested by force or whether you're arrested in the flu, it's suneco. It's the grip. Now, Acts 18.4, Acts 18.4, speaking of Paul. He reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed, suneco. He was arrested. He was in the grip. Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Acts 4.20, Acts 4.20. We cannot, we cannot, but speak the things which we have seen and heard. All right, so let's bring this all together. So Christmas season, let's be like Boaz. As the man who will not rest by asking God for the gift of a holy anxiety for the lost around us. Let's ask God for that gift. Second, Christmas season, let's be like Boaz is a man who will not rest by entering into this deep heaviness and continual sorrow for the lost. And this Christmas season, let's be like Boaz, is the man who will not rest by copying the Samaritan who had compassion on the lost, who went to the lost, who really wanted the lost to be healed from their sins. 
identified with the lost and brought the lost to the one who could heal them, the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for you are the great seeker. You are the great groaner. You are the great signer, Lord. You are the great one who took care of the lost, Lord, and we want to take care of the lost. We want to please you. So help us this Christmas season, Lord, to turn our eyes to Jesus and turn our eyes to the lost with a deep happiness in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Christmas Under the Stars is back at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Christmas Under the Stars is a free family Christmas program on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. Enjoy a live nativity, Christmas carolers, cookie decorating, ornament design, games, rides, petting zoos, and a dinosaur garden of lights. Family Christmas photos, holiday fair food, and astronomer star viewing and presentation by astronomer Spike Saras. And a Christmas message by Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Free Creation Museum admission on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. For more information about Christmas Under the Stars and Dinosaurs at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m., call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or visit the Creation Museum online at creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.